Hello, and welcome to the Running Wild Press podcast. We are again talking on our series of Running Wild Novella Anthology, Volume 2, and we are visiting Part 2 with Chelsea Clayton, author of The Washerwoman. Hello, Chelsea. Hi, Tone. How are you? Good, thank you. So, it looks like you had a whole career in advertising. What's your education background that led you into advertising in the first place? I went to the University of Southern California, and from there, I was just fascinated by people and kind of, it sounds creepy, I know, but I liked figuring out how they ticked. And advertising actually focused on that in order to sell a product or figure out a different demographic that maybe would be interested in something. And so I kind of liked that, that mind, again, sounds really bad, but that that mindset of how people think and what they go into certain situations and what gets them motivated to do a certain action. So I took that and I minored in it and got my master's in communication management and interned. I think I got one of the last few paying internships that there were and was able to kind of kickstart that career afterwards in um, not necessarily in creating ads, which is what everyone thinks of when they think of the advertising industry. I didn't make the TV commercials or anything like that. I focused more on the people that those creative agencies would then try and tailor their creative endeavors towards. All right. So you're you're working in advertising. Why did you walk away from it? I had been writing my first book while I was there. And then my husband got a job opportunity um, to move to New Orleans. And it was too good for him to pass up. And since I already had this project started and the only way to really get something that momentous off the ground, I find, is if you treat it like the full time job you want it to be. Mm -hmm. So. I took that opportunity of we were going to move anyway. I was going to have to find a new job and just saying, you know what? This is this is my sign. This is my sign to do what I love and try and make this what I do. Um, and I was able to do that and have a couple of books out. And now with the novella, it's it's working out pretty well. I mean, I'm not making enough to live on, but that's thankfully what my partner helps out with. Mm-hmm. And he's very understanding since, you know, we kind of switched off with who was helping who get their dream off the ground to when our, our lives first started together. So that's kind of how it started. And we stayed in New Orleans for about two years until we came back for another job opportunity. So we're back in LA again. <laughs> Did you just start off as a self-publishing entity or were you always with, I think your public, your books are published with Devil Dog Press? Yes. Um, it's, a, it's a smaller press and I've only been with them so far. Um, even my short stories have been picked up by various anthologies. So I've never done the full, full self-publishing route just because I don't want all that pressure. I mean, kudos to everyone who can do that, but I know what goes into the marketing and the advertising and I can do some of that, but that's a full-time job in and of itself oh, yeah. to try and, you know, not just write the book, but then get people to read it and into the right hands where people are even going to see it. Cause I think it was like something like a million books a day gets published on Amazon or some crazy number like that. Every writer, even mid listers have to do their own marketing yes. and have to participate in their own advertising. So what were you able to bring forward from your previous career that helped you out? As odd as it sounds like it's some of the really tiny details that people don't, I don't know if they don't think about it, but timing of posts for instance like if i'm on the west coast but if i want to make sure that people on the east coast see what i'm posting on either instagram or facebook 
making sure that the timing of my post here is at an advantageous time for the East Coast so that it doesn't get lost. Either in the morning, like around 9.30 to 10 o'clock, as people actually do check their social media first thing in the morning before they go to work and start their day, or lunchtime, which again makes sense, and in the evening, which again makes sense, but not posting as much on the weekends because people, unless they're playing you know, a video game or something like that, or watching a movie, which I don't have access to being in front of, they're not on their smaller screen and just killing time as much on the weekends as they are on the weekday. So I see a lot more engagement on my posts when I focus on weekdays, usually later in the afternoon, more so than the morning, just because I can't get up that early to get in front of the East Coasters has helped a lot in just in terms of engagement. And then also knowing which newsletter lists to buy myself into. So they, you know, they have these booked up is the biggest one, but it's so hard to get into that newsletter. But uh, there are other smaller ones that you can purchase for, you know, more affordable fees that have lists of 10,000 plus readers that can get your book in front of them. And that doesn't necessarily get you reviews, but it does generate sales. Really? Um, yeah. So it just depends on what I'm looking for. If I'm looking for just awareness, I'm mostly on social media because that's where people will talk and share. But if I just want pure like return on investment, drive sales for some of the Kindle books, there hasn't been a better option than just buying some of these book newsletter lists. Right. I want to know more about the, the book list because this is new to me. I haven't talked to anybody who's used these. First question is, you're working with a publisher. Yes. I'm not going to ask you what how your numbers break down. I know how my numbers break down as far as how my how much my publisher takes from a book sale and how much I get. Mm -hmm. It's not worth it to me to actually pay for advertising. I would lose money on every sale. Or, or is your publisher got a more generous breakdown than I mine does? It might be a more generous <laughs> breakdown. I think my uh, I do get a, a pretty big majority, and it does help that I have multiple books out. Mm -hmm. um, so I can buy a list for just my first book, which is my loss leader because it's the cheapest one out of all of my my books. And then there's a trickle effect. So they'll see that, oh, there's more than one book, and I'll just buy double. I'll buy the first one and the second one in the series because then they get like a two-penny discount <laughs> or something silly like that. So there's a trickle effect. So I can just buy the list for one and it'll boost my entire series. That's a good one. The series is the money maker. Every self-publishing successor I've seen, it's been because they have not just one, but sometimes multiple series going on. Yeah. It's one of those things where you don't want to feel like you're just one of those dime store novels where you're just churning out a book as quickly as you can just to make money. But there is some truth to that, right? Where the more you have, the easier you are to find, the more legitimate some readers feel you are if they've never heard of you before. Because if you just have the one book out there, people might think, oh, it's just a vanity project. It's not, they're not real. But if you have multiple, they're like, oh, this person's serious. Maybe I'll check them out. So what hasn't worked? What has been a disappointment? Facebook. <laughs> you you had an answer ready to go for that one. Okay, <laughs> let's let's talk about Facebook then. What 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 has not what how first of all how did you were you trying to use it? I was trying to use it basically just as a platform for fans or new readers to have more of a direct access to me if they wanted it. Not necessarily like uh, 
we're always going to avoid spoilers for my books, but just more of they had questions about my writing process or wanted to know when new books were coming out. It felt like the most direct form for them to have that dialogue with me. And pretty much every how to publish book out there will tell you, you have to be on every platform, even if you don't use them all. So I set up the Facebook, which is my author page and not my series page. I don't have one for my series because that's just, there's too many (laughs) Facebook pages. I'm with you on that. Um, Yeah. And then first you ask like your family and friends to join, which is oddly harder than you would think it would be because people just don't join groups as much anymore on Facebook. They don't like as many pages. And since Facebook has changed their, their view on how, what they want to focus on and having it be people first, they've de-emphasized how the pages and the even the fan pages will show up on your newsfeed. And I think you can probably thank Farmville for that, but because um, <laughs> they were just spamming everybody's pages and people started really hating Facebook because of it. Um, so then Facebook changed that, which is great for people who do use it to keep in touch with family and friends all across the country. But for someone who has a brand, it makes it so that the only way most of your followers can see your content is if you're constantly boosting it. Mm-hmm. So you're paying, even if it's just $10 for every single post, it's still $10 just to get people who already like your page to see what you're posting. It feels like a mob shakedown, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like a nice audience to built there. It's uh, It'd be a shame if you couldn't access it. <laughs> That's a great analogy. But yeah, so Facebook has been the most disappointing. I, I don't see in terms of, I'll get likes on my page and newsletter subscriptions, but those rarely turn into sales and certainly not reviews. So I use Facebook as just a, oh, I should probably post something here every once in a while. But Instagram has actually been really great. Really? For, for an author. Yeah. Uh, there's this whole community called the, they use like the hashtag bookstagram and other variations of that. And they've been wonderful. Um, it's a bunch, it's a lot of indie authors, but a lot of big publishers and big authors use it too. Um, and then are really active on there that I follow and that follow me and the engagement there, even without having a business account, cause I don't have a business account. I get a lot more engagement on my posts in terms of likes and comments on Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, right? Um, than I ever did on my Facebook page. That's interesting. I, like, I know that the people I've seen really successful on that are like illustrators and photographers. Clearly, you know, Instagram is the perfect social media for them. I've never heard of an author working it. I've got to look into that. Yeah, I have little setups where I make the books look pretty, which people that's what they tend to gravitate towards. But it's also been a really great way to see and find and share books that. I maybe have never heard of or that I want other people to use and using the hashtags as a search term have been hmm. really, really helpful. But how, how does it, how do you get them to click through to a sale though? So you, in your profile, you can put a link because Instagram has it so that you can only have one link in there and mm-hmm. usually people pick their, their website or something, but there's this other service called Linktree where you can list all of your other links. So it can be your Amazon page, your website, your newsletter. If you do book reviews, anything like that, your podcast, and you can link it all there. So when you tell people, hey, I have this thing, link in bio, it's actually there and really easy for them to find. And Linktree, if you pay for it, has metrics where you can see who's clicking from where and how far they're going. 
All right. Well, this has actually turned into a small business podcast. Let's uh, let's get back to <laughs> your your contribution to the anthology, uh, The Washerwoman. Let's talk about that. You described it as a folk horror story. Yes, The Washerwoman takes place in Ireland, kind of at the turn of the century. So there's still factory workers and um, kind of that grimy feel to it. And I really love this idea of these old fairy tales because I've been to Ireland before and I've, I love it. It has this rich history of just like these mean fairies and kind of nasty leprechauns like everyone thinks like oh the leprechaun at the end of the rainbow but there's this darker history to a lot of those tales that i just i loved so i took one that was actually there is a real tale of a washerwoman fairy and she is not a good creature and so i took that and kind of flipped it with an unsympathetic main character to see like what it would be like for someone that you already kind of want to get their comeuppance and when they meet this really nasty fairy just because everyone when they think of fairies you know oh it's a tooth fairy it's this nice little thing that's going to give you a prize because you lost a tooth and there's just there's this richer history underneath all of that that I feel needs to be remembered. Did you set out to write a novella? Not a novella necessarily. Um, I always wanted to write these short stories because writing 50,000 plus K words for a novel is really easy for me. Writing something that's 6,000 words or less has been a challenge. Really? Yeah, I don't know what it is. Like I I love prose, and so I just tend to sometimes get really flowery and describe these characters. And I I like getting really in depth with characters, which never really fits well with a shorter story format usually. So I've been challenging myself to write these shorter stories to kind of make myself better in that regard. There's a whole audience that just loves these anthologies and little shorter digestible stories, and. I don't want to be just an epic fantasy writer. I want to be a writer who can dabble in everything. That was kind of what I wanted to do by still maintaining my my love for fantasy and more of the uh, the richness of prose, but in a shorter shorter format. And then you've got your book series, The Monster of Selkirk. Yes. It sounds like you would describe that as epic fantasy. Yes, an epic young adult fantasy, but the characters do grow. So as they grow, I expect, you know, my audience, maybe they may start as young adult, but then they'll be adults-ish by the time they're done. That series focuses less on magic, just because I love magic, but I feel that sometimes it can be used as just a plot device to get a, an author out of a tricky situation. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Uh, I have never read that before. <laughs> exactly. So there's, it's more of, fantasy creatures than necessarily magic. So there are elves and there are this kind of mysticism around the trees that kind of connect the forest and the elves together. And the elves are not nice creatures in my first couple of books. So mm -hmm. it does, again, it flips that sort of nice idea that everyone has from Lord of the Rings that the elves are these beautiful, regal, snotty creatures or people into, well, now they are feral beasts I like flipping those kind of tropes on their head. I approve of that as somebody, uh, when I used to play D&D, always hated elves. <laughs> Especially second, first and second edition D&D. They're just so overloaded with powers. They can do kind of everything. Like yeah. they're super fast. They're super agile. Immune they're great at every charm. weapon. They're hard to kill. I, I could see that. <laughs> they, they finally balanced them in third edition, but that's neither here nor there. All right. And then, uh, so you get the two books out and a third one's coming out. Yes, the third one actually comes out October 16th. 
and there, it'll be a six book series. So it's we're halfway through with the third book. And again, the characters grow. They're no longer in an elf infested area in the third book. So it's very much a kind of an adventure journey story. So if you like, you know, the Hobbit where it's more about getting from one point to the other to fulfill what you're supposed to do and all of these trials along the way, that's very much kind of what the monster of Selkirk is. It's you have your main character who knows she has to get from point A to point B and everything that comes along in between those two points. You said you're on Facebook. Although it sounds like you're not enthusiastic about it. You've got- <laughs> now, Instagram, or they can subscribe to my newsletter because I do have freebies and all the announcements. Like I put this podcast and all that in my newsletter so people can know what's going on without having to keep track of all these different platforms. But my Instagram is my first name. It's at C-H-E-L-S-C-E-Y, which is also why I go by a pen name because Chelsea... Sounds normal, but you will never spell it right the first time around. <laughs> well, with someone with an Italian last name, I understand that. Yeah, exactly. All right. The anthology is Running Wild and Novella Anthology, Volume 2. The author is Chelsea Clayton. The story is Washerwomen. Your host has been Tone Malazzo. Thank you, Chelsea. Thank you.